Coming up on The Exam Room. For someone who's not really used to eating fruits and vegetables and plant-based stuff, that might seem like really overwhelming and frankly gross to someone who's used to eating like a Big Mac and fries for lunch. And I get that. So maybe you don't put in the shredded Brussels sprouts or the kale. You just start with some romaine. And then if, you know, quinoa is something that like you don't want to try just yet, maybe just put in a little bit of the brown rice, which might be a little more familiar to you, or you can leave out the rice entirely. Like if tofu and tempeh are like still like weird um, or, you know, very different from what you're used to, maybe you've been used to eating kidney beans. Starting with foods that you're comfortable with, that don't give you anxiety, that don't freak you out, that you might already even have in your fridge and build from there. And then like once this starts being a regular thing for you, you're eating, you know, maybe that simpler salad for two or three weeks and now you're used to it and you kind of like it and your body craves it. Maybe then you say, okay, now I'm going to add in like a couple sugar snap peas or something that maybe you normally wouldn't have had and see how that goes. So it's an evolution and it's a process but you will really start to become in tune with what you like and what you're capable of doing from a time perspective and culinary perspective. And you will eventually reach that sweet spot where you're eating more foods, you're feeling good about it. Maybe you're feeling some of the physical benefits from it. And it's gonna be like a, a rolling train at that point. You can keep adding more and more. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Denton, Texas, Miami Gardens, Florida, and Seoul, South Korea. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 53 of season 6, number 449 overall. Let's begin today with a confession, shall we? There are days when I just don't want to be in the kitchen. The whole idea of cooking is just such a turnoff. It's like I don't want to have to worry about a measure of this or a scoop of that. I don't want to have to worry about sharpening a knife or chopping or bowls or pots or pans. I want nothing to do with it. I would rather be anywhere else in the world. The thing is, a lot of us are like that. It could be a product of our ultra-convenient upbringing or our ultra-busy life or whatever the case may be. Problem there is that the healthiest way of eating is to cook for yourself so that you can control everything. Really slow down on the salt, the fat, the sugar, all of those things that contribute to chronic diseases, right? So what do you do? Pop quiz, hot shot. What do you do? What is going to reignite your passion for the kitchen to get in there, fire up the stove and make something tasty. And then just like seconds, want to get back in there and do it all over again. Chef Lauren Kretzer has the answers there. She's with us today. She's got tips for those of us who do ebb and flow with our love for the kitchen and then also for our first time cooks as well. Those of us who are just getting going or maybe you want to split the difference and bring your family into the fold as well. Get a couple of sous chefs by your side to lighten the load and speed up the cooking process. So whatever the motivation, we today are going to get fired up for the kitchen. 
And then we also kind of have, as an aside, some fun debate style questions like when does a salad stop being a salad and suddenly it's a bowl? What is the threshold there? Because you can really only pile on so many things before that salad is more than a salad and now you've got a bowl. So what is the limit there? We're going to answer that question. Plus, turning pasta into pasta, how you really want to make your next pasta dish all that it possibly can be. And an interesting tip from Lauren, by the way, about some whole wheat pasta, something you're gonna want to do differently next time you cook some up that could make all the difference in the world. And then sandwiches, right? Who doesn't enjoy a good sandwich? Well, we're going to be showing you how to turn a boring old sandwich into a delectable meal fundamentals are on the way for building the quintessential vegan sandwich, including not a BLT, but a VLT in this case, and then choosing the right bread for whatever sandwich you make, because that can make all the difference in the world. And Lauren will tell you how to make the perfect choice every single time. And oh, by the way, Lauren's going to be joining us in New York City on July 12th for the big exam room live event at the Museum of the City of New York. And so will this guy. It's your friend Rip Esselstyn. Come get Plan Strong with me on July 12th in New York City. I'll be helping to celebrate an incredible 14 million downloads of the exam room podcast with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. My doctor friends, Neil Barnard and Robert Osfeld will also be there to make a toast to the most heart healthy night of your life. Lower blood pressure, lower cholesterol, lower the risk of heart disease or even reversing it. Plus foods and tips that will help get you to chart a new course to a healthier future. But to get there, you have to be there in New York City, the Big Apple. Don't wait, get your tickets today and I'll see you on July 12th. Congratulations, Chuck, and now let's all get Plan Strong together. PCRM.org slash events or click that link in the episode notes right now to secure your tickets for the heart healthiest night of your life. But first, let's fall back in love with cooking and a cancer survivor a life thriver and a kitchen superstar all rolled into one is our guide. Chef Lauren Kretzer joins us right now on The Exam Room. Lauren, so good to see you again. Hi, Chuck. Thank you so much. This is one of my favorite places to be. So I'm honored and excited to be back on the show today. I'm glad to hear that you love this place because the exam roomies and myself, we love you too. Matter of fact, the last time you were on the show and you shared your story of overcoming cancer and your five cancer fighting foods, that became our second most viewed episode ever on YouTube to the tune of 1.3 million views and climbing. A lot of people turning to you for inspiration, Lauren bonkers to me. Um, it's hard for me to believe, but thank you to everyone who watched. I'm beyond touch that my message resonated with so many of you. It's a powerful message. And 
you shared it so well, and it it is no surprise to me that that episode did so well. So um, let's do some more good today. I mean, I hate to sound so trite about it, but yeah, let's go ahead and dive in. I want to talk about the person who is just going plant-based, and they kind of don't know yet what to do in the kitchen. They're used to all of this convenience in their life, and they want it now but they also want to feel better, right? It's like you right. eat garbage your entire life. Eventually your body starts to reject it. And they're like, yeah, I just can't take this anymore. You got to put something healthy in here. And that means a trip to the kitchen after the grocery store and to start chopping up vegetables and to make things healthy. But a lot of us, Lauren, like, especially when we're just getting going, like that's not our jam. So how can you get excited about food being medicine when you're not so excited initially about going into the kitchen? Yeah, and I totally hear that. And I have been there. So I would say like, rewind 10, 15 years ago, I actually did not enjoy eating salads at all. Um, not that that's what you have to eat to be a healthy vegan. But you know, it's just one of the foods that's sort of associated with plant based living. Um, and so it's a journey for sure. So if you're coming into this, you know, be patient with yourself. Don't expect to get from point A to point B overnight or even a week. Um, it doesn't work that way. I think the focus is on making small changes, um, you know, gradually and also, you know, just learning as you go and then eventually you will get there. Um, so and beyond the, the mindset perspective, um, your body actually changes. So our mutual friend, Dr. B., will probably um, agree that your microbiome shifts, you know, the more plant based foods you eat, and the more um, fruits and vegetables that are introduced, your microbiome begins to change, and it'll eventually start asking for more of those foods, which I think is pretty incredible. And I think, again, that's something that I've experienced, too. You know, I never used to crave some of the foods that I crave now. Um, but I think you'll find the more you eat this way, the more your body will start saying, hey, like, I need some greens today, or I need some fresh fruit today. Um, so just understanding that your body will adapt. You just really have to give it that chance um, initially. I love the way that you put that. Eventually, your microbiome will start asking for these foods like they're ordering it off of your menu. And like that's that's the funniest thing ever. And you're absolutely right. It's amazing to me how our taste buds change. But then the taste buds, as you were just alluding to, are driven by the microbiome. I mean, there are certain foods that I love today that I could not stand back in the day whatsoever. And I still get the biggest kick, even though like I've been plant-based now for like seven years or something. Like I still get the biggest kick out of um, sitting down to these things that I, I used to just loathe. Yeah. Absolutely think that they were disgusting. And, and without exception, there are very few fruits and or vegetables that fall into the category that uh, I used to not like. Um, mm -hmm. But now I, I do. There's only like one exception to me. And that's that's an onion. I have never liked onions. <laughs> Never will like onions. I don't care how big I used to be, what my weight is today, how different the microbiome looks. The onion just does not seem to fit into my menu. <laughs> but I mean, but that that also is kind of like an important tip too. Like don't force yeah. it if you don't oh, like yeah. it, right? For sure. And you know, if it's like one or two foods like that, it's fine. We can work around that. Like there are some foods that, you know, aren't for me either. Thankfully, I have a pretty pretty broad palette. But there are things like you were saying, Chuck, that I used to not be able to eat. I used to hate olives. And that wasn't until 
you know, I got a little bit older that, you know, I was like, okay, let me, let me try to like these. And now I, I actually like them. I used to not really like fresh tomatoes, if you can believe it. Um, and so, you know, our bodies change, our palates change. And just as you will start to crave new things, you'll also begin to lose your taste for some of the unhealthier foods that weren't serving you. Um, you know, again, like just using my own experience, now the thought of eating like a big slice of birthday cake, I actually get like kind of nauseous thinking about it, not because it grosses me out, but because I know that my body will not react well to the sugar crash. And I can almost like feel the nausea of the sugar crash before I even eat the cake. So you will find that your body realizes what's going to make it feel good and what's going to make you vibrant and give you energy and what's going to slow you down, maybe mess up your stomach a bit, maybe give you that like sluggishness. And so this is all about getting in tune with yourself. So not only is it learning the skills to cook and getting the right ingredients in your kitchen, it's really becoming more in tune with our bodies. So when you first start, I mean, did you always have this passion for cooking or is this something that came over time along your journey? Um, I've always loved food and cooking. I grew up, you know, in a household where food was front and center. Um, you know, my mom is Argentinian and my dad's family is Sicilian. So those are both, both very food centric, uh, cultures. And, um, so yeah, when I first went to culinary school, it was really because I just loved food and I loved cooking. But then once I started getting into the health piece more, you know, in the last 10 years or so, I would say that my passion for cooking has increased even more because it's it's not impossible, but it's very difficult to fill your body with food that is going to support your health unless you're spending some time in the kitchen. It's really tough to get all of that straight off the shelf. Um, there are a time and a place for certain conveniences, but I would say like by and large, the more shortcuts you take, the more your health will suffer, unfortunately. All well and good, all very true, no doubt about it, but still, but still, the the human race is a funny one in that we know all the upside to it. But for the love of Pearl, getting us to do something that's good for ourselves is just sometimes like pulling teeth. And so how does one, going back to the original question, even though we know there's this tremendous upside, like what is the process for getting excited about entering the kitchen realm? Yeah. So again, it's like a multifold answer. I think, first of all, you really have to have that end goal. You know, how badly do you want to feel good? How badly do you want to avoid some of the common diseases that plague our society? You know, if you have something imminent, sometimes that can be scary, but also work in your favor. You know, if you've just had someone who was diagnosed with something, or if you yourself were diagnosed with something, sometimes that's all the motivation people need is coming from a place of fear. And it's unfortunate that that's really what you know, kind of sometimes pushes us, but on the positive side, it can help us make that switch and start to prioritize certain things. Um, and if you don't have something like that, you know, to motivate you or push you, I would say just try to get inspired by food. Um, I know it's easier said than done, but, you know, walking around a really beautiful grocery store, um, some grocery stores just kind of lay out the food and others like really display them in a beautiful fashion, kind of prioritizing really bright colors and different textures, like walking through the produce department at like a Whole Foods per se is a different experience than walking through the produce department somewhere else. Um, same thing with farmer's markets. When you 
go to a farmer's market and you realize that all of that stuff is not only like super fresh and super healthy, but it was literally grown in the ground in the like, you know, maybe 10, 15 mile radius surrounding you. It's pretty incredible. And like when you talk to those farmers and you see like what their process is and the care and the time that they put into producing these foods, it personally gets me like really revved up to like go home and, and make it. And then the last piece is um, having a great cookbook collection. So if you can purchase new books or go to the library and take some books out or just borrow from a friend, flipping through the pages and seeing like all the possibilities of things that you can do with these ingredients, um, all the beautiful uh, photography and, um, you know, just different ideas, I think always gets me excited. And um, the last piece is like, again, like this is probably the most extreme and the least accessible, but if you travel really take notice of the food that's around you when you travel. You know, if you're traveling in an area with a completely different culture, sometimes it's really exciting to see like the different spices that they use and different flavors that they use. And that might make you want to go home and start infusing your cooking with, with new ingredients and new things. That kind of makes me want to come out of my bubble. Like I always travel and I book <laughs> my hotels near Whole Foods because I know exactly what I want. I know exactly yeah. where to get it. Um, but now you're like, nah, you should really explore a little bit. And, and you know what? I think that there's a lot of credence there. I think that there's a lot of wisdom in what it is that you just said there. So maybe I'll book my next hotel on the other side of town, get out of my comfort zone yeah. and go to a local grocery store and see what's up with the local flavors. That is a great idea. So let's have some fun here and let's get people fired up because I also <laughs> think like as a person's just getting started, we have to take recipes or, or foods that we're kind of used to making um, that are really easy um, and then just kind of spruce them up and make them as nutritious as possible to really start to heal thyself as you and I were talking about before we've recorded. So what I would love to do is we mentioned salads at the top of the show is just kind of go down the list of some of these really ultra easy kind of foods, ultra popular kinds of foods, how to take them to the next level and get people excited about the process to make it. So if you would have told the old me, like go in the kitchen and make a salad, I'd have been like a kid who was just told to eat Brussels sprouts. I'd have said, no way. Like <laughs> that's just super boring. Right. So let's go ahead and turn that salad into a salad and really get people excited about dressing it up. So it's not just a bowl of lettuce. How would you chef Lauren Kretzer make an incredible salad? Sure. So yeah, salads can be really filling really satiating and exciting from a flavor profiles perspective. So the first thing I would do is I would get a big bowl because when you're eating whole food plant-based foods, you can actually eat a large volume without really stressing about, you know, it really adding to your waistline. So don't be afraid of the large serving size. This is not the time and the place for like the little soup bowl. You want to get a nice big bowl for it because like I said, you can eat a lot. Um, I would fill that up with probably a few different kinds of greens. So you want some texture here. Texture is really important to a great salad. Um, so, you know, if you're going to have some romaine lettuce, that's great. Romaine is excellent for you. You can use that, but then maybe add in some thinly sliced red cabbage. That'll not only add like really good crunch and chew to your salad, but some beautiful flavor and of course other nutrients as well. Um, another great sturdy green is kale, of course. Everyone's familiar with kale at this point. Um, thinly sliced collard greens are really fantastic in salad. Um, so I like a nice sturdy crunch from one of those. Finely shredded Brussels sprouts are really great. 
again, this is just gonna add um, not only the texture, but it's gonna make it feel more substantial. So really getting that very substantial base. On top of that, I would add whatever veggies you like. So I try, not always successful, but I try to do things that are seasonal. So in August, of course, you want to get some tomatoes in there. You know, if they're fresh from the garden, fresh from the supermarket, fresh from the farm stand, they're all going to be amazing in the middle of summer. So get some tomatoes, maybe some peppers, some cucumbers, you know, things that you can easily find. They're going to add bulk that are going to add in a lot of nutrition that are not really going to add a lot of calories, um, you know, in a bad way and just fill your bowl up with those. Um, so again, any veggies that you like, try to get lots of different colors. So that way you get like a broad spectrum of nutrients in your salad. And then on top of that, I always look for things that are going to add again, more satiation. So adding things that are maybe a little bit more protein dense, you can always find protein in pretty much every vegetable, but some things are more protein dense. So it's going to help balance it out. So to that, I would say add some chickpeas and you can either add them in completely raw from not raw dried, but you know, raw right from the can or you can roast them. So throwing them in the air fryer, giving them a little bit of crunch or putting them on a cookie sheet and baking them at like, you know, 400, 425 degrees for like 15, 20 minutes, adding those chickpeas on top. Um, chickpeas aren't your thing than any bean really. So lentils, kidney beans, white beans, whatever bean or legume you like. Um, if beans aren't your thing or you can't tolerate beans, then tofu and tempeh are another fantastic source of plant-based protein. Um, they're also just really delicious. So some air fried tofu or roasted tofu, same thing, air fried tempeh, roasted tempeh, um, really fantastic on salads. I always have one of those on there. Um, nuts and seeds are fantastic. Having some healthy fats, um, as long as you don't, you know, go off the deep end is really fantastic. So walnuts are a favorite of mine, pecans, um, sunflower seeds, um, which are uh, pepitas, which are also known as pumpkin seeds. Any of those are really fantastic salad toppers. You can also season them up if you'd like a little bit of extra flavor. So if you're putting something in the air fryer or baking it, you can add a little bit of like garlic powder or smoked paprika, um, chili powder, cumin, like whatever you like, just kind of like toast it on your nuts and seeds and add them to your salad. Um, another healthy fat is of course avocado. So, you know, taking a small amount of cubed up avocado is really great on salad. Um, and then of course I love my sprouts. I've talked about sprouts in the past as being like a fantastic health food, but they're also just really tasty on salad. They're really crunchy and they add like a nice, like just different texture than everything else. Um, and then finally you have your dressing. So dressing is something that I almost always recommend that we make at home. Uh, it's really not that hard to do. And usually store-bought dressings contain all kinds of preservatives and things in there that you don't really want. Usually the oils that they use are not really the best quality. So if you make a dressing at home, you can do something like tahini and um, a little bit of ginger or garlic, depending on the flavor profile direction that you want to go. Thin it out with a little bit of water and then add in, you know, maybe some apple cider vinegar or some lemon juice, um, whatever spices that you like, and either whisk that up by hand or pop it in your blender to emulsify it really well. And that will give you like a really luscious, creamy, flavorful dressing that you can put uh, on this beautiful salad um, that you've just built. And the final piece um, that I would say is if you're really looking for staying power, like if you're super duper hungry, and the veggies and the beans aren't gonna cut it for you. Sometimes I'll add in a little bit of cooked brown rice 
or a little bit of cooked quinoa. And, um, you know, some people don't even think about adding grains to their salads, but they really help fill you up. And it just makes it, like I said, all around more substantial. You're getting a ton of fiber um, from the grains. And, you know, it, you'd be hard pressed to eat a salad like that containing the healthy fats, the grains, the bulk of greens and all different veggies, nuts, seeds, and still want more when you're done. Bag on. That is a big salad. I mean, it that, is. that is that is an enormous salad. Like at what point does a salad cross the threshold from being a salad into bowl territory? Because I think a bowl <laughs> carries more bulk and yes. the more stuff you throw in there, the closer you get to bowl territory. What is Chef Lauren Kretzer's threshold between salad to bowl? I think when you start having more grains than veggies and greens, then that's more of a bowl. So for me, like, anywhere from like a quarter cup to a third cup of grains, like, like I said, meaning brown rice, quinoa, et cetera, would more be like salad territory. And when you start like half cup to a cup, that's more like the basis of a, of a Buddha bowl or a green bowl. You had an exact answer. I love it. I was, I was <laughs> like, I, oh, I thought you were just going to ballpark that. You're like, nope, it's a quarter cup and it's a half cup. And that's the difference between a salad and a bowl. That, In my that head is great. anyway, <laughs> who made me look, the extra, but like. The debate has been settled. Now you guys know a half a cup or more, you're in bowl territory, my friend. But no matter where it is that you are with everything that you were talking about, that is flavor country when it comes to that salad. And I love, love, love living in flavor country. Um, a lot of stuff that you can obviously put in there, all tailored to the person's palate. I would imagine that's kind of a, you know, trial and error and kind of figuring out what you like as you go along. You know, it could be a couple of months worth of a process to figure out, man, this is my salad right here. And I love this salad more than any other in the world. Do you think that the person's mindset changes as they kind of get a little bit more comfortable in the kitchen, they get better in the kitchen and some of that anxiety that they had about going in there initially has been alleviated. And then suddenly it's not just, wow, this food tastes better and I feel better, but like, because I'm actually better as well in the kitchen, I'm more inclined and more excited to be there too. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I mean, like what I just laid out that salad, that's sort of like an ideal scenario. But for someone who's not really used to eating fruits and vegetables and plant based stuff, that might seem like really overwhelming and frankly, gross to someone who's used to eating like a Big Mac and fries for lunch. And I get that like, I'm not, again, I, I understand we're all on our journey. And if that's not for you, what I just described, baby steps. So maybe you don't put in the shredded Brussels sprouts or the kale, you just start with some romaine. And then if, you know, quinoa is something that like you don't want to try just yet, maybe just put in a little bit of the brown rice, which might be a little more familiar to you, or you can leave out the rice entirely. Um, again, like if tofu and tempeh are like still like weird um, or, you know, very different from what you're used to, maybe you've been used to eating kidney beans. You know, kidney beans are in a lot of chilies and things that, you know, maybe people are more familiar with. So starting with foods that you're comfortable with, that don't give you anxiety, that don't freak you out, that you might already even have in your fridge and build from there. And then like once this starts being a regular thing for you, you're eating, you know, maybe that simpler salad for two or three weeks and now you're used to it and you kind of like it and your body craves it. Maybe then you say, okay, now I'm going to add in like a couple, you know, sugar snap peas or something that maybe you normally wouldn't have had and see how that goes. So it's an evolution and it's a process. 
but you will really start to become in tune with what you like and what you're capable of doing from a time perspective and culinary perspective. And you will eventually reach that sweet spot where you're eating more foods, you're feeling good about it. Maybe you're feeling some of the physical benefits from it. And it's going to be like a, a rolling train at that point. You can keep adding more and more. Yeah, a couple of things here. It's specific to the kale. The old me definitely would not have been aboard the kale train, with the exception of the garlicky kale that's on the salad bar at a lot of Whole Foods locations, because that's kind of been wilted down, right? So a lot of that that really dense, crunchy um, texture that the kale has has kind of been wilted away, one, probably by massaging it to death, but then two, the tahini dressing also softens it up and it is delicious. So if somebody's interested in exploring kale for the first time, I would say look for a zesty tahini dressing and massage that kale, mix that up, let it sit, let it get nice and soft for you, and then go to town on it. I think that that is a great introduction. The second tip that I have, and I'm no pro like you, but in terms of just building a wide nutrient profile with the beans, I've discovered recently, super easy, this can of uh, like three kinds of beans. It's got pinto in there, black beans and kidney beans, and you can get them without salt. You just you know open up the can and, and dump them in. It could be that easy. You don't really even need to rinse them, but there you have a wider nutrient profile as well. And I guarantee you out of the kidney, the pinto and the black, you're going to love at least one out of the three. No question about it. Yeah. And thankfully, these are beans that like aren't really off-putting tasting to begin with. You know, they're not really like bizarre. They're pretty standard. Like I was saying before, we've probably all eaten them in some way, shape or form in a chili or a dip or something that's, you know, more like standard American diet. Um, so really, it's just those familiar foods in a new context. And uh, to your point, Chuck, about the massage kale salad, that's actually how a lot of people started getting familiar with kale as a lot of really popular restaurants started doing a kale salad where you just very finely chop the leaves. You want to probably compost or discard the stems. So those are pretty tough and not really that palatable. So taking the leaves and finely cutting them almost to the point where they look shredded and grating like a microplane or just finely mincing on a cutting board, some fresh garlic, um, some nutritional yeast. If you are willing to try it, um, you may have heard of nutritional yeast before, maybe you're already eating it every day. It's got like a nutty, cheesy flavor to it. Um, and then, like you said, either a, a tangy tahini dressing, or if you don't have time to make a dressing, I've, I've personally done many, many times just massaging some avocado into the salad with either apple cider vinegar or um, fresh lemon juice. And that creates like sort of a, a creamy dressing consistency. And that salad, like I could eat it every day. It's so good. That sounds so simple and so good. Yes, ma'am. I'm on board with that. All right. So we've got salad covered. Let's go to another easy dish that I'm sure the majority of us have made in our lifetime in the kitchen. And that is pasta. You do not have to have any sort of training whatsoever to boil water, cook the pasta, and then heat up some pasta sauce. But that's kind of plain too, right? How excited can you possibly be to do that night in and night out? So let's do the same thing that we did, Lauren, with the salad. Let's take that pasta and make it pasta how can we dress that up and make it exciting well pasta is like my number one passion in life i i love a good <laughs> pasta bowl like i said i'm half italian um so the first thing is you want to look for a good quality pasta in the supermarket so whether you're gluten-free or you like all the gluten there are good brands to look for that i think will give you that bite and that like great base that's going to make any sauce shine 
So of course, like, you know, all brands are acceptable. There's no real bad brand of pasta out there. But on the gluten free side, if you like a legume based pasta, I've personally had good success with Bonza and uh, Jovial pasta. Those are um, lentil and chickpea based pastas. Um, there's also brown rice pastas. I've really um, loved Jovial Foods has a really great line of gluten free pastas that have a very similar texture and bite to standard wheat pasta. And um, on a wheat pasta perspective, you want to always look for brands that are non-GMO. Um, the wheat can be heavily sprayed. So I personally look for that when choosing a pasta brand, but I love DiCecco. So that's widely available in most supermarkets. It's a yellow and blue box and their pasta um, to me is the best of the bunch. So DiCecco is my favorite and they even have an organic line. So if you can look for that as well. So the first thing you want to do is boil your pasta according to package directions. But what I start doing is I start tasting it at the minimum end. So it usually says like 10 to 12 minutes, start tasting it at 10 minutes. You want to get that like nice al dente bite without overcooking it, but without undercooking it. So just pull a strand out, taste it till it tastes good to you, then strain it out. Never rinse your wheat pasta that the sauce will cling to it much better if you don't rinse it. So once you strain it, just leave it be no olive oil in the water, just cook it in water, drain it, you're done. Um, as far as a great sauce. So if you're making a homemade marinara sauce, simple is better. So just doing fresh garlic, fresh um, basil, um, if you want to add in a little bit of oregano, uh, dried oregano to that, that will give you a really nice basic marinara that you can coat your pasta with. And then of course, you can dress that up a million ways um, to add some heft to it. Say you don't want like a big portion of the pasta itself, but you still want a really big bowl. This is where all of your toppings come into play. So white beans and chickpeas and lentils are my three legumes that are my preferred pasta toppers because first of all, you'll find them in traditional Italian cuisine. And secondly, they just add a lot of great fiber um, and substance to your pasta bowl. So adding them in as if it were like ground meat, you know, like you just drain it out of the can and add it into the sauce. And it's going to give you that same sort of like satiety that eating, you know, a, a more substantial like meat ragu would give you. Um, if you like vegetables, wilting in some spinach or kale into the sauce is fantastic. It tastes really good. It makes your bowl nice and colorful. Like I said, you can eat more because you're kind of bulking it up with those veggies. Um, frozen is great. Fresh is great. The nice thing about frozen is that I'll usually take like a package of like frozen chopped kale or frozen chopped spinach. And I will literally add it to the boiled boiling pasta water in the last like 30 seconds or so 30 to 45 seconds or so of cooking. So it literally cooks the frozen greens with the pasta and then you drain it out together and you don't have to mess up a second pot, which is like a major win for me. And most people out there, I feel like do not want to wash additional dishes. So the same thing goes for any frozen veggies, really like frozen peas, frozen edamame, um, as long as it's chilled, of course, just add it into the pasta water, drain it out with the pasta. And then you've got like your veggie and your pasta ready to go. So those are some quick ways to bulk up the pasta in terms of sauces. So I already went over a simple marinara sauce. There's a, a lot of ways to get like a really creamy pasta sauce without relying on some of our more familiar ways to get creamy sauce. So no heavy cream needed, no butter needed. You can make a delicious Alfredo with some steamed cauliflower actually. 
So I take some steamed cauliflower, I put it in a blender with um, a very small amount of cashews, like maybe like a quarter cup, but you probably don't even really need the cashews, some water, some nutritional yeast, some miso, um, a little bit of lemon juice and or um, apple cider vinegar, no more than one or two tablespoons. And you blend that together. And I swear to God, it tastes like Alfredo sauce. <laughs> it's so good. You would not believe it. I actually have the recipe on my newsletter for like a garlic cauliflower Alfredo. Um, I do the same thing with butternut squash instead of the cauliflower butternut squash. It tastes like mac and cheese. My husband and kids like are obsessed with it. They think it's real mac and cheese. Um, and it's just so good. And it's like all stuff that you can find right in your regular supermarket, no special shopping trips required. Um, so yeah, those are basically my tips is finding that creaminess from, from veggies, from cauliflower, from squash, from white beans, adding in those frozen veggies to bulk it up. I, I, I just, I love the way that you put that with the swear to God. Now, most times when somebody says that to me, I'm, I'm still a little bit skeptical, like, man, they're giving the hard sell, but that was an authentic swear right there. That was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm serious about yeah. this. So listen up and put this into practice. And it, it absolutely sounds delicious. Um, all things that we want to try. I can't also wrap up the discussion without this third item here that is another staple in millions and millions and millions of homes across the country, right down uh, from the parents to the kids. And that is the good old fashioned classic American sandwich. You can put two things between slices of bread. Hard to get excited about that. How can we build an amazing, easy-to-make sandwich that has this amazing nutrient profile that tastes even better than the PB&J that mom used to make back in the day that will just knock your socks off and be the envy of everybody at the kid's school or perhaps even at the office? Yeah, so sandwiches are something where before I went vegan, I really relied heavily on animal products to make it taste good. So cheese and mayonnaise and, you know, I haven't eaten meat for a long time, but those other things were like on every sandwich. And I could not imagine having a satiating sandwich without them. And now not only do I not need those things to have a great sandwich, but I don't even use their vegan counterparts. So you can make a great vegan sandwich without vegan cheese, without vegan mayo. Um, if you want to use those things, of course, you know, they're available. But if you want more of a whole food plant-based approach, there are so many great ways to make a great sandwich. So your bread, of course, is the first option. You know, that's really up to you what your preference is and, you know, whether or not you're eating wheat. But um, I usually stick to either a whole grain bread. Um, I like Dave's Killer Bread is a widely available sliced wheat bread that um, we use in my household. A great um, Italian roll, um, you know, whether it be homemade sourdough or, you know, finding like a ciabatta or something that you know is really chewy and um, can kind of hold up to all the the ingredients inside. So choose your bread. I like to lightly toast my bread. I feel like that makes it a little sturdier because plant-based stuff tends to have a little bit more water in it. So if you're adding a lot of like lettuce and tomato and onion and things like that, the bread will stand up better if it's slightly toasted, slightly thicker. Um, in terms of like the base of the sandwich, um, Dijon mustard is fantastic. That's totally plant-based, uh, familiar to everybody. Dijon mustard, yellow mustard, whatever your mustard of choice is. If you're not a mustard person, I love some smashed avocado. That kind of gives you that like mayonnaise, like creaminess, fattiness um, as the base of the sandwich. 
Then, um, you know, your main filling. So tempeh is fantastic. Tempeh makes a, an amazing BLT. Um, there's recipes everywhere for tempeh bacon. It's usually just like strips of tempeh marinated in like some tamari, some liquid smoke, a little bit of maple syrup, and you can bake that or air fry it or pan fry it. And it, it tastes a lot like what we all remember bacon to taste like. Um, some fresh sliced tomato and lettuce makes like a classic BLT. Um, like I said, put some avocado or vegan mayo in there if you want that. Um, I loved banh mi. So banh mi is a traditional Vietnamese sandwich. Um, and the way that I make it is I take some uh, baked tofu and I'll pie it up with like, like I said, the smashed avocado or you can do vegan mayo. And then you want some pickled veggies. So um, just take some carrots and radishes and put them in a little bit of apple cider vinegar and some salt. Let it sit for like 10, 15 minutes. Put that on top of the tofu, then some fresh cilantro, some fresh mint um, on a nice roll. That's an incredible sandwich. Uh, chickpea salad. A lot of us are familiar with chickpea salad now. If you're not familiar with it, it's the vegan answer to tuna salad or chicken salad. Um, it has converted many a meat eater over into the plant-based realm. You take a can of chickpeas, you mash it up, you mix it with some finely chopped carrots and celery and maybe a little bit of pickles even, finely chopped up in there. Um, some tahini dressing if you want to bring it together. Um, if you eat vegan mayonnaise, you can put a little bit of that in there. Um, and then season that up, whatever you like to put in your chicken salad. I usually do a little bit of uh, garlic powder, a little bit of salt and pepper, a little bit of Old Bay seasoning even sometimes tastes good in there. And that makes a fantastic um, salad filler. And then if you're staying away from legumes or um, tofu or tempeh, uh, portobello mushrooms and eggplant make fantastic salad fillers. So you can roast those up or grill them. Either one is fantastic. Putting on um, you know, some red onions, some roasted red peppers, sun-dried tomatoes, um, some spinach, you know, just making that into a glorious big veggie sandwich. It's so filling. Um, it's just totally customizable. And, um, you know, I feel like you'd be hard pressed to eat that and still feel like you need something more. They're, they're really great. Oh man. I love it when you're on the show. Cause like all I'm doing while you're talking is like, I've got my notepad and my pen off to the side and I'm just like, <laughs> take notes. I'm like, yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. We're going to do that. Um, when it comes to choosing the right bread for the right sandwich, this may be like a 201 level question for the kitchen, but like, how do you choose? I know that you mentioned your favorite there, but how does the, how does the average person, should we choose the right type of bread to pair perfectly with what's going on that sandwich? Yeah. So like I said, something that's like really dense, like full of ingredients, like if you put it on like a thin little piece of wheat bread, the whole thing is going to fall apart. So for instance, like the portobello mushroom sandwich I was just talking about, that's got mushrooms, roasted red peppers, maybe some grilled onions. Like that's going to be like really kind of um, too much water content to really stand up to a sliced bread. That's going to be more like a ciabatta or a baguette situation. If you have like a chickpea salad, that's less watery because it's coming from beans and, you know, the things in there generally aren't that soggy. That can stand up to a wrap. So a whole grain wrap would be fantastic for that. Pita bread would be great for that. Regular sliced bread would be great for that. Um, you know, so anything where you have like a ton of veggies, I would go with a more substantial piece of bread, something that's maybe more legume based or something that's a little bit drier in nature. You have more flexibility. 
what about from a flavor standpoint? Like you get into like your rise and your pumpernickels and your sourdoughs as opposed to just your regular run-of-the-mill wheat bread, right? So like how do you work a rye or the pumpernickel or the sourdough into the uh, occasion at the right time? Yeah, so I love all those breads and those might be more appealing to someone if you're coming off of a like standard American diet, you know, going from eating, you know, deli bread to whole wheat bread might be something that you're not ready to do yet. A whole pumpernickel bread or whole rye bread or sourdough bread are fantastic healthy choices. They're going to taste a lot more familiar to you. Um, and they pretty much go with any flavor profile. I would say like the only time I wouldn't use like a whole wheat or a pumpernickel would be like something on like a banh mi. Something that has, you know, the sandwich I just mentioned that's traditionally Vietnamese. Part of that sandwich, what makes it traditional is the baguette. That's, you know, what what makes it a banh mi. So I wouldn't then put that sandwich on rye bread. It's just not going to taste right. It's not really authentic. Um, so I would say like anytime it's like really ethnic flavors, I would air away from the rye or the um, pumpernickel. But other than that, like just whatever you like, it's totally customizable. There's really no right or wrong way to do it. And here's the fun thing about this entire conversation today is that literally all the foods we've been talking about here with the salads, making a salad into a salad and the same thing with the pasta and now the sandwich is that these really are foods to help heal yourself, letting food be thy medicine, so to mm -hmm. speak. Right. And then getting yeah. excited about it. And I genuinely think, Lauren, the better a person feels, the more they're going to want to put in that investment of time in the kitchen to prepare these amazing salads and pastas and sandwiches and anything else that they love from these cookbooks. This is just the beginning to get a person going. And it just, I think like building any new routine takes time. It takes patience. You're going to have some days where you're going to be up for it. You're going to have days when you're not up for it. But the bottom line is just keep going back to the kitchen. Um, because the dividends are, are just going to pay off in, in magical, magical ways. So thrilled that you're here. Can't let you go, though, without also mentioning you're going to be joining us on July 12th, our big exam room live and in yes. person in yes. New York. So thrilled that you're going to be there. Rip Esselstyn will also be one of our special guests that Amazing. night. Super cool. So you're going to be uh, on stage with me and Rip. Dr. Neil Barnard's going to be there. Dr. Robert Osfeld, um, who uh, you are you are catching as uh, <laughs> he is currently the number one most viewed video in the history. Oh wow! Of the exam okay, room. but you're right <laughs> on his heels. <laughs> yeah, I know you're gonna you're gonna have to battle it out for plant based <laughs> supremacy that night. Um, so. But anyway, tickets are available, pcrm.org slash events, or click that link in the episode notes, a night dedicated to heart health and healing thyself. And I know, especially with the latter, that is something that you know all about. And you've got recipe chef Lauren for days, for days, for days, and you've got so many good ones in your sub stack. What do you have cooking up there? Yeah, so I write a weekly Substack. For those of you not familiar with Substack, it's basically like a newsletter married to a blog. Um, it's generally free. I have a subscriber option if you want some more special stuff from me. Um, basically, I combine my passions for holistic living, um, plant-based cooking, of course, healing, time in nature, all the things that I'm passionate about is in that newsletter. Um, free recipes, holistic lifestyle stuff, you know, so sign up and see what that's about. Um, and then, uh, that's called plant magic actually. And then I also have my Instagram where I post a lot of my recipes and healthy living tips as well. 
That's right. And we've got links to both right now in the episode notes on Instagram, by the way, uh, Lauren underscore Kretzer is the follow That's to me. go. Beautiful photos mm -hmm. of some food on there. Like you're, Thank you're, you. you truly are making some kitchen masterpieces. So Thank you. Um, absolutely fun follow. Absolutely fun person in real life and uh, here on the show as well, doing this remotely. But I'm so stoked that you're coming on the 12th that we get to do this face-to-face. -face. It's just gonna be epic. So thank you so much for carving out some time today and certainly more to come. Thank you for today. And I cannot wait to see you and everyone else in July. Again, July 12th tickets can be yours right now. PCRM.org slash events for the big exam room live and in person in New York. Cannot wait to see you there. Also in the episode notes, links are up for Lauren's website and her Substack. Definitely going to want to subscribe to her newsletter there. She is so super talented. And what we talked about today, literally just the tip of the iceberg. Let's wrap up today and talk about Men's Health Awareness Month. It is June, and that means that we, in fact, are shining a spotlight on men's health. And I want to share some highlights with you from this press release that we sent out for our Food for Life class series. And it really puts things into perspective for us guys. It highlights the big three health concerns for a lot of us fellas starting with heart disease. Heart disease is the leading cause of death for us guys here in the United States, but decades of research show that a low-fat plant-based diet can help to prevent and reverse it. Back in 1990, you've heard us talk about this, back in 1990, a study by Dr. Dean Ornish tested the effects of a plant-based diet and lifestyle intervention on participants with moderate to severe heart disease. And within just a matter of weeks, 90% of participants' chest pains had diminished. 90%. And after just one month, blood flow to the heart improved as well. Flash forward a year, even severely blocked arteries had reopened. The number one leading cause of death is preventable. That's huge. And here's another big one that actually is a big indicator for heart disease. Maybe nothing strikes more fear in the heart of us guys than erectile dysfunction. See, it's a sign of heart disease because it is a sign that the arteries have narrowed throughout the body. And so one meta-analysis that was conducted, a meta-analysis of 25 studies found that men who had ED had a nearly 60% higher risk of coronary heart disease or atherosclerosis. They also had a 34% higher risk of having a stroke and a 33% higher risk of dying from any cause compared to men who did not have erectile dysfunction. But see, just like heart disease itself, research shows that a healthful plant-based diet can decrease the risk of erectile dysfunction. And what guy doesn't want that? And let's round out the big three for men's health by talking about the prostate. 
One study found that men who followed a vegan diet had a 35% lower prostate cancer risk compared to those who ate the standard diet. And then a plant-based diet has also been shown to lower the risk for progression and recurrence of prostate cancer by 52 and 53% respectively. Slash it right in half, a little bit more than that. How great is that? So you eat the plant-based diet, you get those big time benefits compared to those who are still eating that standard American diet. Again, the answer doesn't always have to lie in a bottle of medication, whether it be a little blue pill or anything else. The answer oftentimes begins with what is on your plate. In its simplest form, we're talking about putting good food in, good fuel for your car, and you're getting good results out. That is what healthy eating is all about. So here is the deal. Food for Life classes, they actually empower men with nutrition knowledge and the cooking skills that they can put into use in their everyday life to take charge of their health today. The Food for Life series is fantastic. So many great instructors throughout the entire country and you have to find a class near you. So visit right now, fflclasses.org. That's fflclasses.org, or click that link in the episode notes. The Barnard Medical Center is powering this episode of the Exam Room Podcast. Their doctors and dietitians practice lifestyle medicine and promote plant-based nutrition with in-person visits in their Washington, D.C. office and telemedicine appointments in 18 states. Visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 to learn more. That's barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500. And one more favor to ask of you today, and that is if you haven't already done so, please help us continue to grow the Exam Room podcast. Make it the healthiest podcast on the face of the earth and every corner of the earth. And the easiest way to do that is by giving it a follow or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. Hit that follow button, hit that subscribe button, and leave a five-star rating. And then in the review box, if you're so inclined, tell us a little bit how a plant-based diet has helped your health and what you like about the exam room. And you might just hear your story right back here on the show the next time we do a five-star health success. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to the incredible Lauren Kretzer for being here, firing up our passion for the kitchen and raising our health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.